Uh, it's such a blessing to see so many of our people in our church having uh, children in uh, this past few months and, of course, throughout this year. Uh, babies eat, cry, sleep, and number two, then they repeat, right? Uh, those early months of, of, of parents are exhausting, and yet they're exhilarating. Uh, those, uh, a baby changes everything. Uh, in their life. Uh, love kind of bursts into your hearts in a way that you didn't even know was possible just a few uh, months prior. And as children grow, they often serve as a mirror reflecting their parents. Like father, like son, they say. She is her mother's daughter. Sons and daughters reflect their fathers and mothers. All parents have those moments when their children do something merely because they are mirroring their parents. I remember one of my daughters was in the car, and I don't know about you, if as a parent, getting your kids from the house to the car and the car to the house seems to be one of the most exhausting things we do. And my sweet daughter was taking her sweet time getting out of the car, and I was kind of pastorally, fatherly exhorting her to move faster out of the car, and she aptly replied, Daddy, you are really testing my patience. Now, where did a two-and-a-half-year-old learn that phrase? From us. Children are a mirror that reflect their parents. As children reflect their parents, Christians reflect their God. Christians are children of God. They are born from God. So therefore, Christians should mirror God to the world. I love the story of, the, of a missionary who lived in a remote village for many years. Uh, he saw very few conversions because there was no um, lang- Bible translated in their language. Uh, he could not effectively communicate the gospel. Uh, he ended up dying in that village. A few years later, more missionaries came, but this time they actually had a translation of the scriptures. And when the, the missionaries started talking about Jesus, about his love for, for, for people, they said, we've met that man. The missionaries were shocked and kind of alarmed, and the villagers took them to a grave of that missionary who lived among them. This man reflected Jesus so much and how he cared and how he loved others. When they spoke of Jesus, they thought of this man. Beloved, I I pray that when people hear of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, they would think of us. We must be a mirror of Christ and his love to the world. So John's purpose in this letter is found in 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John wanted his hearers to know that they belong to God and by belonging to God, they have eternal life. So he gives us another test this morning. We're going to look at love in four different points. The first point, love imitated. Love imitated. One of the identifiers of whether someone belongs to God or not is how they love. You can know you belong to God if we love one another, for love is from God, and those who love are born from God. Look at the text, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For purpose, love is from God, and whoever does, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Children should imitate their fathers. If God is our father, we should imitate him. Love does not lead to salvation, but it's a reflection of it. 
We, we live in such a way and love people in such a way that people would see us and know that we belong to God. So the question for us is, does our love reflect God's love? When the world looks at the love of Park Baptist Church, do they see a love that can only be explained by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God? If you have been born again, regenerated, converted, saved, you will love. It is impossible to act according to not, not according to your nature. So if there's no love for the body of Christ, then there's no love from God. And if you do not have God's love, then you are not of God. Whoever has been born of God knows God. Whoever does not love has not been born of God and knows God. Love is the great mark of the Christian. So many of you probably have gone to a wedding and you've heard 1 Corinthians 13 uh, read at the ceremony. Um, it's a wonderful passage, but it wasn't supposed to be read between a husband and a wife. It's written to a church, and it was actually written as a rebuke to the church because the church of Corinth had many gifts, but they did not have love. Therefore, Paul chastised them through this passage, 1 Corinthians 13. Hear God's word. If I speak the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God's word says love is patient and kind. Are you patient with people? Do you bear with people when they struggle with sin? Are you long-suffering? Do you love people when you're frustrated, tired, or hurt? Are you kind to others? I mean, does the words of your mouth, hear me, do the words of your mouth and the thoughts of your heart show kindness towards others? Two of our beloved senior saints were buried this past week, Thursday and Friday, and at their funerals, they spoke of their kindness. Life doesn't get any more real in that moment when the, the the casket is there, and you know that these are the last words that are going to be spoken publicly, probably about you. It made me think when, when I, and by extension when you, are put in the ground, what will people say of your love? Is it patient? Is it kind? Love does not envy or boast. Are you jealous of others? When you see what someone else has, do you rejoice with them? Or you, do you desire what they have? When you receive something, do you boast in it or do you brag about it? So much of our world can be categorized by envy and boasting. Uh, beloved, let it never be in the church. Love is not arrogant or rude, the text says. Christians should be known as the most humble people on the planet. To be arrogant or rude is to think that you are more important than others. It's to think that your ideas and your opinions are better and more important than others. It is to be blunt and impolite and insulting. But love is gentle and humble. Love does not insist on its own way. Now, we know the Lord Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for, for many. Do we imitate the heart of Jesus for others? Too often we want our way, whether it's masks 
or music rather than laying down our preferences for the sake of others. Remember, love is from God. The opposite of love is not from God. So if you insist on your own way, you are not loving, but maybe acting as if you are not from God. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love is not annoyed or contentious or cross or brooding or bitter. When we are acting irritable, the problem is not the person that we find irritating. The problem is the irritation in our own heart. It is not loving to be irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Christians never celebrate what God hates. We must not rejoice in the things that are contrary to God's law. The world wants wants you to celebrate sin, to come along and throw a party for the sin that you see. But that is hateful, and it's the opposite of love. So why does John talk so often about love one another? We see that repeatedly in this epistle. Because we need reminders, do we not? Beloved, our our love communicates that we belong to God. We must never grow tired in our our love, for, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So we see love imitated by Christians. And number two, we see love defined. Love defined. Uh, now, in our day, definitions are constantly changing. People say one thing, and we don't, didn't mean the same thing it meant 20 years ago. Uh, the culture often tries to redefine words in a way that seems most beneficial to, to them. Uh, love defined, John defines love by the source of love. So in 1 John 4, 8, God's Word says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, notice what John says and what he doesn't say. He says, God is love. He doesn't say, love is God. The world is not defined by love. It is defined by a sovereign God. I mean, even with the text we read in Isaiah, how many times did you see that I am the only Savior? I am the only God. God is love is defined as the, as the Bible defines love. God is love means that God continually gives himself to others and seeks the true good of others. John is making the point that since God lives by giving himself to others and seeking the good of others, those who have been born of him should live to do the same. As one pastor notes, for the loveless Christian to profess to know God is to have been born of God is like claiming to be intimate with a foreigner whose language we cannot speak or to have been born of parents whom we do not in any way resemble. It is to fail to manifest the nature of him whom we claim as our father born of God and our friend knows God. Love is as much a sign of the Christian authenticity as is righteousness. So hear me, God is love because God has eternally existed in a perfect relationship of love within the Trinity. So we can say God is love because of the Trinity. The relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is an eternal relationship of love. You cannot be of God if you do not love because God has always existed in love. To not love is to to not be of God because God is love. To be born of God is to be united in the love of the Trinity. So the eternal love of the Father and the Son is offered to us now in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we read in in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given 
to us. To come to know love is to come to know the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So we see love imitated, love defined, and number three, love demonstrated, love demonstrated. God's love is not abstract or elusive. It's concretely demonstrated for us. Look at the text, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Notice what the text is saying here, that God initiated his love with us. We were lost and we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and God came to rescue us. This is what the Christmas story is about. It is God on a rescue mission for his people. We did not pursue God. He pursued us. Salvation is all of grace so that no one can boast. Time and time again, you see throughout the, the scriptures in Jonah and in Psalm 3, 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. So if we boast, we boast in the Lord. And this is why when we say that love does not boast, is every time we boast, we're saying that we don't need God. But that is not of God. The only way we can love God is if God's love has been revealed to us in Christ. This is why we should be humble. God, God demonstrates his love for us and that he sent his son. It says that he sent his son, and one verse says it's his only son, but he says it for two different reasons. He says that he sent his son that we might live through him, number one, and to be the propitiation for our sins, number two. There, there are two reasons, but they're really the same one. Let me explain. Look at verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. It's the same thing he says in 1 John 2, 2. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, but not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. Propitiation, beloved, is one of those words, those theological phrases that may sound all big, but it is such a glorious word. I would plead with you to know it and to love it. Now, propitiation means that Jesus atoned for our sins by turning God's wrath for sins on himself and turning God's favor from himself to us. So propitiation speaks of the great exchange. Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. He takes our death and he gives us his life. He takes our guilt and our shame and our condemnation and gives us his joy his beauty, his perfection, and his love. This is staggering, is it not? It's so staggering because we are unworthy. Now, in the ancient world, outside of Christianity, it was only appropriate to love that which is worthy of love. See, we are sinners and deserve and are worthy of God's wrath. We are unworthy of this kind of love of Jesus. We deserve God's anger because we've spurned and rejected him. And yet, as we've already heard in this service, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then what did the Father do? He, he publicly declared to the world that he accepted the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, accepted the propitiation on, 
on our behalf by raising Jesus Christ from the dead so that the world would know that if you turn from your sins and trust in Christ as your only Savior, you will experience eternal life. Friend, if you are here and you have not trusted in Christ as your Savior, can I just plead with you to turn from your sins, to repent and come to Christ. God sent Jesus for you. He sent Jesus to die for you. He did not come because you were lovable and right and pure and and happy all the time. No, he came because of the opposite. He came because you were unlovable. He came because without him you would never love. And you would never experience this, this rich, full, glorious love that God has for us in Christ. Listen, if you are here and you are not a follower of Jesus, can I just tell you that the love that God has for you in Jesus Christ is amazing. And it only gets better in time. There's days when we feel our, our guilt and our shame rise up and then we are reminded that our sin is paid for, that we are forgiven because of what Christ has done for us. His love never wears out. So I would, I would encourage you to accept the invitation of this into the, into the eternal love of the Trinity Repent of your sins, turn from them and trust in Christ and he will save you. Oh friend, experience that love. But to the church, those who have made a decision with Jesus Christ, this this is the same thing he kind of says that God sent Jesus that we might live through him. And I think what he fundamentally means here is that we can live through him or we can have eternal life because he's the propitiation for our sins. Because he took our our, our wrath, the wrath that we deserve, God's wrath uh, on the cross, and gave us his righteousness, we can now experience eternal life. Remember what I read earlier, the reason why he wrote this entire letter. I write these things to you that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, and to believe in his name is to believe that all that he has done, to believe that he is the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice, to believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So God sent Jesus that we may live or have life in him. Eternal life is offered through Jesus Christ. Now, I I believe that John is also drawing out that this eternal life is not there and then. The eternal life that God offers is now. God offers you eternal life today. Christians are meant to live through this life as Jesus lived. Go back and read this epistle. It's not long. It'll take you maybe 12 minutes. Can I just have a side note here? There's a speaker right there. It wasn't there a year ago. Uh, lots happened in 2020. Um, it takes a very little time to read a chapter of Scripture. It takes a very little time to read a, a New Testament epistle. And we find it very, very hard to actually read our Bibles because we are very busy with things that are probably not worth our time. So if we can watch a, an hour of television if we can look at our, 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 our social media feeds for 30 minutes, we can spend 10 to 15 to 12 minutes reading the Word of God. But here's the beauty of it. You read for 12, you want 20. You read for 20, you want 30, because God is speaking to you. It is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow, revealing the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Back to the sermon, Right? We, 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 we see in this book, right, that, that Christians should walk as Jesus walked, right? So 
we walk as, as, as in the light, as Jesus is in the light. We should be righteous as he is righteous and as indeed is the righteous one. Uh, Christians should love as he loved. It, it was impossible for people to live like God, so God sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So by his sacrifice, our dead hearts would become alive in Christ. Eternal life does not merely begin when we die. It starts when we put our faith in Christ. So God sent Jesus that we may have eternal life now and forever. Last point. Love is perfected. Love perfected. So God sent Jesus Christ into the world that we might now demonstrate his love for a lost and dying world. Look what the text says in verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. You ever have those moments in your life when something kind of rises up in you, right? You see something, and you have this visceral response. One of the visceral responses that I have is when I see someone who claims the name of Christ be unloving, I just say that makes absolutely no sense. That is unthinkable for a Christian to act that way because Christians are born of God, and someone who's born of God is a, is a person of love. So when I see Christians, godly people who claim to know Christ be unloving, it doesn't compute in my mind. It's absurd for a Christian not to love. It's unthinkable that a Christian would not love the body of Christ. Beloved, we think if God gave his life for us. How in the world can we not respond in love for one another? The holy, almighty creator of the, the world, the sovereign one, gave up everything for us. How can we not give up a little comfort and a little time for others? Jesus died for you, so stop being rude and arrogant. Jesus was beaten and crucified, so stop insisting on your own way. Jesus took God's wrath on the cross for you, so stop envying and boasting. Jesus conquered the grave, and he gave you eternal life. So stop being irritable and resentful. Jesus loves you, so you ought to love one another. Let me conclude with just two applications. The first application that I want to end with, I think this is what John is going here in the text, is assurance. Remember, he just, just talked about the, the spirit of the Antichrist. And in the previous verses, that's where we test the spirits, because the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world. He mentioned in chapter 2 that there was people who were part of the body, who, who left the body because they started not believing in the truth of the gospel. They didn't deny that Jesus Christ came in, in the flesh. This church was, was struggling, and they were afraid of judgment and, and wrath. And then what John says in, in verse 12, he says, No one has ever seen God. If you love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So if we know God abides in us, and we know his work is completed in us, then we have no fear of judgment, and we have no fear of God's wrath. I mean, what an encouragement to the church. John has already spoken of these antichrists. He says, that's not you. They may be thinking, am I going to make it? Am I going to be one who is pulled away and, and drift off towards false teaching? I mean, you just said, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. How do they know that God will keep them? 
And he gives them the answer right here. By your love. When you love one another, there is no fear of judgment because you show that you belong to God. The Holy Spirit confirms with our spirit that we are children of God by how we love God's people. You belong to God. Therefore, you don't have to fear. You don't have to worry of the coming wrath. If you love one another, you are from God, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So he wants to encourage you with your love. Now listen, we all know the power of sin. We all know that all of us here have the capacity of all sorts of selfishness, all sorts of pride and rudeness and envy. And every time we try to do good, evil is right there with us. But every time we try to do good, God is with us as well. And we can please the Lord in how we love one another. So yes, we want to grow in our love for one another, but we also need to rejoice in how we are loving one another. You know, sometimes I feel that all we want to focus on is how sinful we are, how, how bad we are, how, how much we want to, need, how areas we need to grow in. And beloved, we need to focus on that. But here's what, what John is saying. Because you are loving one another, you can be confident that you belong to God. So how are you loving one another this week? If you intentionally and actively try to love one another, your heart should rejoice because that's a sign that you belong to God. The fact that you're here when you don't even, maybe didn't want to come this morning, right? But you're here. Why? Because you love one another. Rejoice in that gift. And it's from the Lord. You know, I can share example after example in this church how you are loving one another. And when you are loving one another, what another well, we want to rejoice in that love because that reveals that we as a body are from God. But listen, we're not boasting in ourselves, are we? We're boasting in God. For God loved us first. He gets all the glory. Always. Our love is an assurance that we belong to him. Rejoice in how you love because that is a gift from God to you. And it's a kind reminder that you belong to him and are safe on the day of wrath. So the first application is this, be confident and assured if you love, you are in Christ. Number two, I believe there's a missionary impulse here. No one has ever seen God, but the true God has made him known. So in John chapter 1, verse 18, it says something very similar, that no one ever knew God, but the the true God, the one and only, has, has made him fully known. We know God because God has revealed himself to us. Now, how staggering is this, that God has revealed himself to us so that we can reveal him to others. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us and the world sees God in us. We don't love each other so that people would see us. That's selfish. We love each other so that people would see through us to God and give him the glory. We can love one another in such a profound way that we would give the world a glimpse, a picture, a window of God's glory. So I pray that we would be a, a G-cubed kind of church, a G-cubed church, that we'd, we would constantly give glory glimpses, right? I didn't alliterate my sermon, so I had to work it in somehow, right? We have to give glory glimpses. So we give a glory glimpse when we provide food for new parents 
or rides for seniors. We give a glory glimpse when we confess our sin and reveal our struggles with someone to someone else, showing that our trust is in the gospel and not how people think of us. We give a glory glimpse when we forgive those who sin against us, and we sing of God's grace after that forgiveness. We give a glory glimpse day in and day out by showing our love for God and our love for one another. So this week, how will you give a glory glimpse to the world? How can you help the world see that God is real? You know, this past week, um, being at the funerals for Faye and Ellen, I was reminded of the glimpses of God's glory from this congregation. You know, it's hard for a pastor to say goodbye to people that you love. You develop close relations with them, spend time with them in, in ways that a lot of Others are not able to because of, of work. This is what I had the privilege to do. And I got a chance to see many of our members, many of our women especially, uh, show glimpses of God's glory and how they sat with those women, how they sang with those women, how they fed those women. And it reminded me of the love that God has for us in Christ. But I'm not the only one who saw it. Their families saw it. And many of their non-believing families saw it. They saw the love of God in Christ Jesus expressed in a glimpse of glory from the love of the people of God. The world needs to see God and we can make him known if we love one another. So give a glory glimpse. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, 2 Corinthians 4. This is in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we do not proclaim ourselves. When we love, we proclaim the one who loved us first. We give a glimpse, a glimpse of God's glory. The glory of God in the face of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Give a gospel glimpse of the glory of God. Father, we pray that you would give many gospel glimpses through the life of this church. We pray that they would see and Know Christ's love in a deep, deep way. Father, help us love one another, that the world would know that you are real, true, and powerful. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.